Amen. Amen. Hope we're ready this morning to, to hear and respond to the Word of God. Appreciate your prayers for me this morning because there's a lot. There's a lot going on in here. At the moment, we're coming to the end of a series um, of, and we've been talking about worship. I say it's the end, but you never know what God might continue to speak to us because we don't finish with worship here. But in my heart, God has wanted to do something in the church, and we are, it's like a launch pad. That as we come to understand and we understand who we are and, and what God wants, this is a launch pad into the things that God has got for us. And in some respects, I might repeat things that might have already been said by myself or by John over the past few weeks. And I'm sure we'll repeat it again in the coming weeks because, you know, we're, we're like that sometimes that we need reminding of things because we hear it once and we don't always remember. But where are you at this morning? Where are you at? Are you, are you growing in your worship? Are you growing in your identity as a worshipper of God? Because I really hope so, because God has got us on a journey, but the journey is only worthwhile if we're actually moving. It's lovely looking at a map and plotting things out and working out where you're going to go, but unless you actually get off your backside and get moving then there's very little point to the journey planning. And, and John spoke a few weeks ago about worship in the context of the model of the temple and how we start in this outer place, in these outer courts, and we gradually make our way in to this place, the Holy of Holies. And that's the truth, that God has something deeper for us this morning. God has something more for us and, and I wondered this morning, are you hungry for something more of God? Because, you know, we can come a bit this morning. It's a nice, it's a lovely warm day. I was up quite early, like 7 o'clock. And even then I was like, whoa, it's hot. That's early for me, 7 o'clock. <laughs> and it was hot then. And you, and you think you come, you're like, it's a bit, I'll just have a rest. But, and we can be a bit lethargic and we can be a bit somber at times, particularly when things are weighing us down and, oh, what a word, that the chains are holding us. It's, it's hard to walk with chains. You know, if you want to go somewhere, you want to be light, you want to be free, and you know what, you are free. And God wants you to walk and move into something more, but there are things that will hinder you from getting into the more of God. And, the, and when we talk about going into the Holy of Holies, the pre, what that illustrates is the presence of God. And this is the heart of God for us this morning. Because God is the God of abiding. He's a God of indwelling. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's his heart, to be with us. That's always been his heart, and I hope, really hope, this comes through this morning. And, and my, my title this morning was The Greater Glory. Because God has something greater for us. There's never a point where we get to and we go, I've reached the end. If you feel like you've reached the end this morning, I tell you, you haven't. If you feel like you've received everything God's got for you this morning, you haven't. Because there's always more. And I hope you want more. If you're ever satisfied, Lord, come and pray that God will give you more. There's a mystery in God that you're satisfied but you want more. don't know how that works, but it does. And I was thinking about how God created man. And right at the beginning, Adam and Eve would walk with God and dwell with God and have this relationship with God. And that was the original design for human beings to encounter God, to dwell with God. That is how you 
Every one of us, every human being on this earth was designed to be with God. And you realize that, that if that's the way you're designed, that if you then don't operate in that reality, then you're going against your design. And you know, people find life hard. And it's no wonder if you're doing things that are not right. Imagine putting diesel into your petrol car. It's not going to work because that's not how it was designed. And that's just a very simple illustration that God has said, I have designed you in a certain way. The way that you flourish, the way that you come into life is by walking with me and dwelling with me. And if you don't do that, yeah, life's going to be hard. And Adam and Eve had that experience. And obviously what we read about is how sin corrupted that. But that wasn't how it was meant to be. Creation reveals the glory of God. And I don't know what you enjoy. For me, it's mountains. I've probably mentioned before, I, used, I lived in Colorado for a year and I lived in the Rocky Mountains. And every morning I'd open the door and there'd be a panorama of mountains all around me. And I was like, Whoa. When I first, this is where I went to Bible school, and when um, I first got the brochure, I was like, yes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm signing up for, but yes, I'm going there because it was wonderful. It just, there's something about the heavens, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And we, we get robbed a bit because we live in the city. And if you see a star, you're like, oh, a star. But I'm sure if you live somewhere away from the city, you, you see the sky with billions of stars. And they declare the glory of God. And you know what? As God created the earth, on the sixth day, it says he created man in his own image and and the creation of man was the pinnacle of creation the top and so if you think that if you look at the mountains if you look at the seas if you look at the stars and you are awestruck they are not the pinnacle of creation but that man was above them there was an order and man was above them And so your design is to display the glory of God in a way that the mountains and the seas and the stars do not. That people can look at those things and go, wow. But you know what? They should look at you and see something greater. Do you believe this morning that people can look at you and see something greater? Because you might think, oh, not me. Not me. Who am I? I can't do anything. I'm just this small person. I'm nothing. But you know what? God can do something in your heart and in your life that speaks a greater thing than those things. We were made for the glory of God. So what, often we hear this phrase glory, so I thought it'd be good to kind of explain what that means. It's got kind of many different meanings, but it, it, its truest form is the weight. It talks about a weight um, a heaviness, and, and the idea that actually, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, that you come in to an environment and there's a weightiness about it. Now, sometimes you can come into a bad environment. You know, when you come into a room and someone's had an argument, and you're like, well, I can feel that. That's not a nice weightiness. That's not glory. But the glory of God is when you walk into something and you're like, whoa, what's that? What's that? It's about God's presence, his character presenting itself and the manifest presence of God, that his glory is there. And we were made to carry that. As I said, sin separated us from God and it separated us from carrying the glory. You know, in Romans 3, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because you were designed to carry glory and you fell short of that. We fall short of that. 
the design that God has put upon you because of sin. But God is seeking to restore his people to the original design and original purpose. He did this throughout the Old Testament. And we look at the, the law, we look at the priests, the prophets, the kings, and they would, they would all declare the, the glory of God to a degree. And if you read in the Old Testament, there were moments and you think, wow, that's incredible. Like, if you read about the temple, uh, sorry, the tabernacle, just so you know, the word tabernacle means dwelling. The actual phrase when it said God came in, he tabernacled amongst us. That's what Jesus did. He tabernacled. He dwelt. So when he say we built a tabernacle, we made a dwelling place for God. And just reading of how that was made was quite incredible and just the intricacy and of, of the design and all that sort of stuff. But then it says that the glory of God came upon it and it filled it with a cloud. And there were times in these scenarios where it says the cloud was there, the fire was there. There was times when they, were, they consecrated the temple. It said when Solomon consecrated the temple. And it said the glory came in such a way that, that no one could do anything. You couldn't operate in the way that you intended to operate because the glory came. And it was so overwhelming that it was like, well, I wanted to go for lunch, but I just couldn't move. Or I was planning to sing this song, but my mouth couldn't speak because you were so awestruck. You were so dumbfounded. You were so overwhelmed by God. But the truth is that that was not a complete revelation of God. It was, it was a part. It was an aspect. And I want to look, if you turn to your Bibles, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to pick a bit in this chapter. And just so you know, we are going to talk about worship in a minute. I'm just laying a foundation. Because at the beginning of chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about how we are living testimonies. We're living epistles, letters to speak. And so obviously, if you read a letter, you're getting information, you're getting a story, and you are a living story of God. You are designed to speak the truth of God by your life and by your words. And he says in verse 5, it says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. So he's saying, we're not doing this because you know what? I knuckled down and I worked hard and I busted it out. I understood all my Bible. I went to seminary and I studied hard and now I know everything. And so if you come and speak to me, you see the glory of God through my own efforts. He's saying, no, not at all. But our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Did you know that you're a minister of God? Now, we can look at people in positions of responsibility and say, well, they're the minister of this and the church. And, but you are a minister of the new covenant of God. And I say this because there was a covenant, and if you understand that the the Bible, you've got the Old Testament, which is the old covenant. And the covenant means a promise, an agreement between two people. And there was an old agreement between God and man. And there was a new thing that God was doing through Jesus Christ. And we have been entrusted with the telling of that to the world. That is the Great Commission. So we have been made ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. So the old covenant was of the letter. It was the law. But we have a new covenant that is of the spirit. Because the difference is, what did they write the old covenant on? They wrote it on tablets of stone. 
But the new covenant, what did they write that on? What's that written on? Come on. Heart. Come on. Good to see you with me. It's written on your heart. It's not on something exterior. It's written on something interior because the difference is the law and everything else was exterior. But the new covenant is that God will come and dwell within us. His law will be on our hearts. He is with us. And that is the new covenant that we need to communicate with people. It says, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This old covenant, there were times of wonder. There were times of miracles. But he said, that kills. The old covenant was one of death. He goes on to say, now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on the Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. And because Moses had this experience with God where he met with him and his face shone so brightly, the people said, put a veil on your face because it's too much for us. But the way Paul describes it here, he says, that, that time, that's death. That's the ministry of condemnation. That's the... That's what it's like in comparison to what we now have. We have something so much greater. He says of John the Baptist that John the Baptist was the greatest in the old covenant. But each one of you is greater than John the Baptist. Do you realize that? Each one of you is greater than John the Baptist because John the Baptist could only tell people about the old covenant. But you can tell people of the new covenant, the new promise that God has for people. Where was I? The comparison is like death and life, darkness and light. They can't be compared. One is so much different to the other. And the work of this new covenant, the thing that God wants to do in us, in the world, in his people, is to transform them. He wants to transform you to be like him. That's his purpose. Because if you were designed to carry and display, declare the glory of God, then you need to change. Because... Okay, we're not perfect. And as we heard this morning, we come with all our brokenness, all our weakness. But that's not where God leaves you. He says, come like that. Yeah, come like that. But do not live like that because I've got something better for you. And I want you to be transformed, to be like me, that you would declare my glory to the earth. And so that's the period we now live in. There is a greater glory. We sang about it as well this morning. There is a greater glory to come. And that's when Christ returns and basically everything's dealt with. That's the end. That's the greater glory. And that's what we're going to look forward to. So there's a few questions I just want to think about this morning. Because we talk about transformation. How are you transformed? Because you might say, okay, that sounds good. I want to be transformed. The way you are transformed is by the presence of God. He said the Spirit gives life. Because we can read a lot of things. We can do a lot of things. We can go on self-help workshops. We can read self-help books. You could read your Bible through again and again and again and again. But unless you encounter the presence of God in those things, you will not be changed. And this is the problem, that it's, it's, easy, it's easy to do things. Like, it's easy to go on a course. It's easy to sit in a sermon because it's not requiring much of you. But to actually implement that and to be with God is, takes more. And so it's harder. Romans 12, 2 says that our minds need to be transformed. And this is one of the things that I talked about, your identity this morning, about how God designed you. And I'll ask you a question. Are you willing to live in that truth? Because again, we sang this morning, 
I am who you say I am. Do you believe that? Because God says many things about you. But do you believe it? We need to walk in the truth. I said, when I spoke a few weeks ago, I talked about how we are worshippers, and that is our identity. John talked about how we are priests. I said just now, you are ministers of a new covenant. Is that the identity that you are saying to yourself? This is who I am. I am who you say I am. Because the trouble is we hear this and we say, oh, yeah. But then we walk out and we have not allowed the truth of that identity to be sinking into our hearts. And we go out and we're the same that we were. But my prayer this morning is that you will be transformed in your mind, in your thinking, to accept who you are, but also to accept who Jesus is. Because again, this is all in the light of who he is and what he's done and our belief in that. Do you know that the more you are with God, the more you will be like God. You become what you spend time with. I was going to put up a nice picture of, you know, where people look like their dogs or their dogs look like them. Or even you see it with husbands and wife. I noticed this morning that me and my wife are wearing matching watches. <laughs> you know, you become like the person you spend time with. You become like the thing that you watch on television. You become like the books that you read, the newspapers that you read, the music that you listen to. We like to, I'm not going to, I've got no scientific data, but it's just truth because you see it. You see it. It's just there right in front of you. You become. And so if you want to be like God, you need to spend time with God. Again, often we're saying, I want this, I want this, I want this, but we're not willing to invest in our time with God. And it's a challenge. I, I feel the challenge all the time. You know what, I come home and say, I just want to kick out and I want to watch the football, I want to watch a movie, I want to play a game. But God's saying, well, if you really want to be like me, will you find yourself in the closet? Will you separate yourself unto me? We should be making, seeking him a priority. I want to just let that sit with you for a moment. Is, is seeking God a priority in my life? Because the only way that you move into this deeper realm of God is if you make that your priority. When we have that, that image of the temple, there were people who were in the courts outside. They were kind of there, but they were never there. Kind of they're on the periphery. But God was saying, no, you're invited right into the holy place. Now, where do you want to be? So let's begin to think about how does this connect with our worship? Because the truth is that God manifests himself differently in different situations. So when we gather together, when the saints gather, this is a different situation. It's a distinct situation that has different characteristics and opportunities to other situations. And so God will manifest himself, reveal himself differently in one situation than another. And the gathering of the saints is important to God. He says that we should not forsake meeting together. And he didn't do this just because he wanted big churches. He wasn't like, you know what, I'm in the church planting business. I like mega churches and I like house churches and I want loads of churches. That wasn't his point, but he knew that the way we were built and the way he wanted to display himself, manifest himself, could, an aspect of that can only happen when we meet together. 
We see this because the body of Christ, the church, is set up in a way that you cannot exist if you are self-sufficient. The body of Christ is set up in a way that you are dependent, we are dependent on one another. Now, you might not like that one bit. People say church is great if it wasn't for the people. Because people mess things up. People are messy. Life is messy. And, and we, we like to be with people we like and who, who don't cause us problems, who don't rub up against us. But that's not what family is. And you know what? God has put you in a place. It says that God puts you in the church as he chooses. And it's for his glory because the work that he will do within you, within the church, will refine you that you will be able to display his glory in a brighter way. And so there are things that God can only do in this situation. And this is what we've been looking at in this series because we recognize worship is a bigger thing. Worship is when you are alone in your closet, in your home, when you're walking along the street, when you're up a mountain. Worship is when you're at work and when you're at school and, and wherever you are, worship is massive. But what we realize is there's something very distinct about this time, this opportunity that God is saying, I want to do something here that I can only do here. He can do many other things elsewhere. But there are some things he can only do here. And I know that there are people who are missing out because they are not here. And God does not want us to walk with a limp. And I don't know if you've ever been in a time, in a meeting, when you're just like overwhelmed by God's presence. I don't know if you've had that experience. But this is what we believe is what God wants for us and has for us. I heard someone say it's when the glory of God comes, we don't have to do anything because that's the time when God is at work. When the glory of God comes, you don't have to come forward for prayer because his presence is here and he'll be touching lives and he'll be healing people and he'll be doing miracles without us even speaking a word. It won't need the worship team to stir us or encourage us. It won't need the preachers to declare the word because the Spirit of God will be working in such a way upon us. You know what, if you think about Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, no one said, right, well, I'm going to pray for you now to receive the Spirit of tongues or the gift of tongues. They just received it because God was doing a work amongst them. I was at a meeting a few months ago and I was just, to be honest, I've never had this before. And I was just walking around and I was trying to find someone before the meeting even started. And I walked in this area and I just started speaking in tongues. Just like, you know. And I was like, oh, what's that about? That was a, there was something there in that little patch. I don't know who was sitting there, but there was something going on that made something well up in me that I wasn't even particularly conscious of. And this is when the presence of God is there. You know what? The presence of God, the glory of God, it cannot be forced. You know, I can stand here and go, glory come, glory come. I can berate you and say, get on your knees, people, and God will come. You can't do it. We can't persuade God and plead with him and say, please, God, please. And beg him and cry to him and say, please, we can't do it. Our zeal and our persuasions will are of no help for the glory of God to come. We cannot manipulate or manufacture it. 
So we think about our external things. No No matter how many lights we have, no matter if we get a smoke machine, if we get a great artist to draw things all over the walls or, or, you know, the external cannot manufacture the presence of God. We cannot manipulate it through our emotions. I could, we could stir you up. You know, a good musician can stir you up don't even have to be a Christian, you know. They could just play something really nice and touch something. I, I could, I don't want to admit it, but when I used to do my counseling training, I used to see if I could make people cry. <laughs> it sounds really mean. But we used to do training. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying this. It's really bad. But we used to have these five-minute, like, training session minutes. It's like five minutes you got to talk to someone about something just for practice. And my aim was to see if I could get, basically get right to the root in five minutes. And I, you know, I could. Because you have to say, oh, anyway. You, put it this way, you can manipulate people to make them emotional. Let's just leave it there. But that's not what we're about. But the one thing that God, God is attracted by true worship. And so when we're thinking about, well, how, what do we do? It's about, do we attract God? And that's worship in spirit and truth because God is looking for something that looks like heaven. And when he sees it, he is there. And God is looking on us and he's saying, do I see heaven there amongst you? Is there a glimpse? Can I get a glimpse of heaven in these people's attitudes, in their heart, in their language, in their expression? Is there a glimpse of heaven? And when he sees that, he's on it. You know what we pray? We pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So we are praying we want heaven to be here. As I said, there is a greater day that will come when the glory of God will be fully revealed and heaven will be on earth. You won't have to go anywhere, but it's here. But we live in this season, in this time, that's an in-between. It's kind of a blurring of the lines where we get glimpses of the reality of heaven because where is the kingdom of God? It's in here. It's in here. This is the kingdom of, not this building, this is not the kingdom of God, this is bricks and mortar, but the kingdom of God is in his people. The dwelling place of God is in the temple, which is his people. And when God sees this, and he responds, and he comes, and we will see greater things, we will see heaven come on earth. And I was thinking about what are these things that attract God. I'll just go through a few things for us. This is a bit of your instruction. It says, there are things that attract God, and these are the things I've categorized in two ways, before we gather and as we gather. Before we gather, obedience and righteousness. You know what in Scripture says, the prayer of the righteous man avails much. It, it achieves much. Because God responds to righteousness. Because the righteous man has a heart that is in tune with God and so he only prays for the things that God wants and so therefore he gets what he prays for. It's not that our righteousness earns us brownie points then twist the arm of God and you say, God, I've been good this week, you should come. It doesn't work like that. But you know what? When God sees people who are willing to follow him, obey him, he wants to hang out with those people. He's like, I want to hang out with you guys because you you're, you're my type of people. I want to be with you. He's looking for authenticity and consistency. Because if we just live our lives in a different way, 
throughout the week, and then we come here on a Sunday, and we're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God's like, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in, in prayers. I'm not interested in singing. I'm interested in your heart that is given to me in all situations, in all opportunities. And so if we're only seeking God on a Sunday, we're not going to get very far. You know, again, if you think about the journey to the holy place, you've got to start somewhere. And if every Sunday you're just starting on the outside, you're never going to get to the holies. But if, you're, if you get here, when you get here, you're already in the holies. Amen. But he's looking for authenticity and consistency in our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that you've got to be perfect it's being real. And if you've, if you've fallen, it's like, yeah, God, come on your face before him. Be real. That's being real. Again, it's not coming and just going, okay. Be real. And then as we gather, because these are the things that attract God in this setting that I believe maybe only we can do here. So first, we must come in humility because we can come to things with many different motivations. I don't know why you came here this morning. Is it just the thing you do? Is it because that's what your mum and dad expect? And maybe your mum and dad don't, aren't even alive anymore, but they still expect it and you still do it. We can be doing it because someone's told us that's what we have to do. Maybe it's just you like some good coffee. Who knows? But God is looking for people who come with an attitude of humility to glorify him and to put him first. And you know what? When God looks at that, he says, yes, I see your heart. I see the heart that you've come with. You've come with an, with an expectation and a desire to know me more, and I, I want to meet that. I want to meet you there. The other thing is unity. Because you know what? God will not, he cannot bless division. And unity on your own is really easy most of the time. Sometimes you might argue with yourself. But on the whole, it's quite easy. But when you get together with people, it becomes trickier because, you know what, people do things that annoy you. People do things that upset you. And maybe you came even this morning and things weren't as you wanted them to be. Or you saw someone and you remember what they said to you last week or did last week. And you know what, these things can rile up in us. But you know what, that your relationship with other people cannot be separated from your relationship with God. You cannot be at peace with God and against a brother or a sister. It's impossible. Because if you think you have peace with God and you're against somebody else, you're lying to yourself. If you're not sure about that, go and read First uh, John. He explains it very clearly. The two are interlinked. And so God is saying, and that's why he puts us in this place to say, will you humble yourself and love others as I have loved you? Because that is an expression of Christ-likeness. That Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But we like him. Another thing that God put in my heart for us as we gather is generosity. Generosity It just attracts God. And the thing that God put on my heart is that God is generous and he wants to pour out, but he is restricted by tight-fistedness. Because how can you receive if your hand is holding on to your wallet? God is wanting to pour out, but we're so holding on 
to things that we're not able to receive. And God's character is one of generosity. Is that reflected in your character? And I really believe, and God put on my heart for this word, that for there are some people, and how you manage your finances and how you give, whether your finances are, are organized in a kingdom way, that's all I can really say at the moment, because that's a whole other sermon. If your finances are organized in a kingdom way, that he will set you free and liberate you into something more of him. And actually, the fact that your finances are not is hindering you in moving deeper into God. God is generous, and it's our generosity that, again, attracts him. Service. You know, what they, the way they described the early disciples, it said, you'll know them by their love. They, they, were, they were known by their love for one another. To, to the world, because they served and they loved and they just gave. And Christ set us that example where he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. He was Christ, almighty God, yet he got down and he washed the icky feet of his disciples. They were probably not attractive feet. But Christ gave us that example. And so if we come with a self-serving attitude, then how can we ever display the glory of God? In that moment with Christ on his knees, the Father was glorified. But if we come and it's all about me, and we're not willing to lay down our life for others, then we will not reflect the glory of God. Sacrifice. You know, there are sacrifices you, could, you can make here that you can't make elsewhere. Because you might say, Lord, you know, I lifted my hands to you when I was on my own in my bedroom. And God's like, that's nice. Now do it in front of people. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Lord, I sang to you in the private place. Wonderful, do that. Do you want to start a song in front of 100 people? That's a sacrifice. To get on your knees. John spoke about all these things last week, the other week, about ways we can express ourselves to him. Are we willing to do that here? There are sacrifices you can make here. It made me think about the woman who came and broke open her alabaster vase. If she had done that with Jesus on his own, I wonder if it would have made it in the Bible. There was something about that scenario, that setting, the way she came in and was just humiliated in front of these people. She was vulnerable and her offering filled the room. And you know what? We've had times recently where there have been offerings that have filled this room because people have broken open their alabaster vase to God. And you know what? You might feel like a fool. You might feel embarrassed, you might feel vulnerable, but you know that's a, that's a fragrance to God. And the last thing is, is singing. You know, it says in the psalm that God inhabits the praises of his people. I don't understand really how that works. But as we sing, God entwines himself. The, the word is he dwells. Again, it's a dwelling that God dwells in our praises. So if we withhold praises, then we withhold dwelling. So these things are all there to attract God. We don't do them to force God. So we're, again, we're not manipulating God, saying, right, we've got our checklist. Done this, done this, done this, done this. God's going to come. Because God's coming is sovereign only unto him. He decides he, we might think we've done all of these things and, and I'm sure we'll have a lovely time. But there are times the, the actual manifest presence of God is sovereignly his will. But God is looking for heaven on earth, true worshippers. And then he comes 
and then we experience greater things. And that's the reality that we want to have in this church, that as we express heaven, that God comes and pours out more. And we see more of, of heaven on earth in this place. That we want people to come in and encounter God's presence that will transform their life. Do you want that? Do you want that for us as a congregation, as a, as a church, that people will walk through the God, these doors and just be like, whoa, what is that? You know, some people will run, from, run the other way because they won't like it. We'll accept that. Do you want it that people will come in for a, a latte during the week and they're like, whoa, what's, what's, what's this place about? Not because of the fancy artwork or the nicely made tables or the artisan coffee, but because the presence of God will linger here in this place. There will be a fragrance that lingers in this place. So you don't just come for coffee, but you come for something that's going to transform your life forever. We want to be in a place where the lines between heaven and earth are blurred and we won't know what we're walking in. You know what? I heard this. We see, we see the world in natural and supernatural. God only sees natural because everything's normal for him. And I pray that we'll be a bit more like that. We're like, oh, that's normal. That's normal. People, that's normal, people being healed. People's hearts being healed. So when the, when the kingdom of God comes... The gospel is proclaimed, captives are released, the blind will see, the sick are healed, and the brokenhearted will be restored, lives will be changed. My, my last question for you this morning is, will you align yourself this morning with God's purpose and identity for you? Will you make this your priority, to seek God with all of your heart, because God, that's what God is looking for this morning. And not just, as I said, not just now in this moment. It's when you get home. It's when you get tomorrow morning, the morning after, the morning after. Will you seek God? And if you fall, God will get you up again. And you continue seeking him. Don't give up. Shall we stand and let's pray? And we'll respond to the Lord. If you need to stretch... Just pray now that as we worship, that you will give to God something that you haven't given before. That you will step into something more of God. God is looking for faith, a step of faith from people this morning. Will you step into something more of God? God is saying, will you come? Will you, will you step out? Will you give me something you've never given me before? And I'll meet with you then. Will you push through? Will you make yourself vulnerable? Lord, we come and we worship you now, Lord, because you are worthy. Lord, if we don't know your worth, Lord, give us a revelation, Lord, right now, Lord, of the Savior who died upon the tree. You died upon the cross for our sins, Lord God. Lord, will you come and reveal yourself right now to us? Lord, may we come, Lord, with open hearts, open hands, Lord, to you. Not holding back anything but being completely abandoned to you, Lord, this morning. Jesus. We lay it down, lay it down now. Whatever it is you're carrying, those chains, lay them down right now.
Step away from them. If you need to step, move. Move right now out of that seat. Move somewhere else because you want to leave those chains behind. speaking to him, start speaking to him. If you speak in tongues, I encourage you now just to start speaking to him. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by things. There's things that are seeking to distract you. I encourage you to close your eyes. And set your, set your mind on him. Just cast every other thing. So set, give me your burdens. Give me your cares. Don't worry about them. Just set your heart and your mind on him. Cry, cry out to him. May your cry be known to him. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for him? Jesus, Lord, we need you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Lord.